Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Radio Havana, Cuba, NHK World Radio Japan, and Radio Deutsche Welle. We will begin with France 24. French citizens continued their sixth day of massive protest against Macron's pension reform. Then a press review on the UK's proposed anti-immigration law, which has led to calls for the firing of a longtime BBC broadcaster who had compared the government action to Germany in the 1930s. France 24. Train conductors, air traffic controllers, teachers, garbage collectors, utility workers. France's sixth day of protests and strikes against pension reforms one of the biggest since the government introduced its bill at the start of the year. Some 250 demonstrations across uh, France. Uh, the uh, CGT trade union claiming 700,000 in uh, the main demonstration through the streets of Paris. The stakes are higher this time. Unions currently huddling to decide whether this time to roll over the stoppages into Wednesday and make it an unlimited strike. Today, public opinion is more and more on our side. Seven out of ten French people, nine out of ten workers. So with so many of us in the streets, while the Senate debates the bill before it goes back to Parliament, we think popular pressure could affect real change. Tomorrow is the 8th of March, International Women's Day, and women are going to suffer much more from this reform with career breaks. They'll be penalized when they take out their pensions. The protest drawing old and young alike, like students at the start line of the big demonstration in the capital in Paris's West Bank's 7th Going over to the UK next, where the government's proposed new anti-immigration laws have been heavily criticized. One such critic is sports presenter Gary Lineker, who works for the BBC. He compared the laws to 1930s Germany, which in turn caused some serious backlash, with many calling for his dismissal. The presenter finds himself all over the front pages in the UK this morning. And we can cross to our press reviewer, Leo McGuinn, to tell us more. Leo, what are the British papers saying about all of this? As you say, Alison, Gary Lineker is all over the front pages of the UK press this morning, as opposed to the back pages, which he's perhaps more used to. This all surrounds a tweet uh, that he put out where he compared the UK's new migration policy, which would see migrants who come in by boat over the channel, it would see them barred from re-entry to the UK and barred from ever 
uh, applying for UK citizenship. He compared it to 1930s Germany. That has had quite the reaction. And as you can see, the UK papers, many UK papers leading with it, with it this morning. The Daily Mail asking, is Gary Lineker about to be sacked from his job? Some claim that it's a breach of the BBC's impartiality rule. Uh, on the front page of The Mirror, Gary Lineker said he won't back down, he won't be silenced, he wants to speak up for those without a voice. The government have hit back at Lineker. Uh, the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, said that these comments were, were distasteful and extremely disappointing. BBC have said they're going to have a frank discussion with Lineker. And it's not the first time uh, he was pulled up on, on, on breaching the impartiality rules previously. So it's interesting to see uh, how this will play out with the BBC. Yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. That report and press review were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. United Nations Secretary General Guterres condemned rich countries and energy giants for holding back the development of countries living in poverty. Syria is angered over a recent unannounced visit by U.S. Army General Mark Milley to a U.S. military base in the northeast of the country. Doctors Without Borders is planning to suspend operations in Haiti because of recent gang shootings. The weekend before last saw a large anti-war protest in many major European capitals demanding the end to the Ukrainian war and supplying weapons to Kyiv. Radio Havana, Cuba. United Nations Chief Antonio Guterres has condemned rich countries and energy giants for throttling poor nations with, quote, predatory interest rates and crippling fuel prices. In his speech on the opening day of the United Nations Least Developed Countries, or LDC, summit in Qatar on Saturday, Guterres said that wealthy nations should provide $500 billion annually to help others trapped in vicious cycles that block their efforts to boost economies and improve health and education. The summit of the 46 LDCs is normally held every 10 years, but has twice been delayed since 2021 because of the coronavirus pandemic. Afghanistan and Myanmar, two of the poorest countries, are not present at the meeting in Qatar's capital, Doha, because their governments are not recognized by UN members. No leader from any of the world's major economies attended. At the summit opening, Guterres hit out straight away at the poor nations treated by the more powerful. Quote, you are at present one in eight people on earth. I have enormous admiration for your remarkable efforts to achieve graduation and sustain graduation. But your countries are also trapped in vicious cycles that make development difficult. We are perfectly aware of the inequalities created by our unfair global economic and financial system. Economic development is challenging when countries are starved for resources, drowning in debt, and still struggling with the historic injustice of the unequal COVID-19 response. Combating climate catastrophe that you did nothing to cause is challenging when the cost of capital is sky high and the financial help received is a drop in the bucket. Fossil fuel giants are raking in huge profits, while millions in your countries cannot put food on the table. 
Guterres said the poorest nations were being left behind in the digital revolution and the Ukrainian war has only increased prices they pay for food and fuel. Quote, our global financial system was designed by wealthy countries largely for their benefit. Deprived of liquidity, many of you are locked out of capital markets by predatory interest rates. Damascus has condemned a recent visit by top U.S. military officer General Mark Milley to northeast Syria, saying the move is illegal and a flagrant violation of the country's sovereignty. The Syrian foreign ministry made the remarks in a statement on Sunday, a day after the chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff made a surprise visit at an undisclosed base in the occupied Syrian territory to talk with American troops and commanders about recommendations for the future of the Pentagon's operations in the Arab country. Quote, Syria strongly condemns this flagrant violation by the U.S. military official of the sovereignty and territorial integrity, the ministry said, calling on Washington to stop immediately its systematic and t- continuous violations of international law as well as its support for militant groups in Syria. The ministry said such practices will not make Damascus stop its fight against terrorism and it will remain steadfast in protecting its sovereignty, security and stability. The U.S. and its allies put boots on the ground in Syria in 2014 under the pretext of fighting Daesh. The Takfiri terrorist group had emerged as Washington was running out of excuses to extend its regional interference. The U.S.-led coalition keeps its illegal presence in the Arab country's soil, although Damascus and its allies defeated Daesh in late 2017. Damascus has repeatedly urged the United Nations Security Council to end the U.S.-led military presence, saying the illegal U.S. deployment is tantamount to occupation and aimed at plundering Syria's natural resources, specifically its oil reserves. In Haiti, the humanitarian aid group Doctors Without Borders is considering suspending its operations after a series of shootouts at its clinics in Port-Prince and other violent incidents as the island nation is increasingly controlled by gangs. Local residents are also facing deepening food insecurity and hunger, while medicine and other resources are extremely hard to access due to the turmoil. Human rights advocates have documented severe abuses, including sexual violence and hundreds of killings. A new report by the United Nations says weapons are being smuggled from the United States and ending up in the streets of Haiti. Fighting between gangs is also intensified over the control of territory, forcing families to free their homes. Thousands of protesters have taken to the streets in London and Paris as well as other major capitals across Europe, demanding an end to the ongoing war in Ukraine and urging the Western governments to stop supplying Kiev with weapons. The demonstrations took place in the major European capitals on Saturday, a day after the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine ended its second year. The Saturday rally in London was organised by Stop the War Coalition. It was held at Portland Place in the city's central area, from which the participants marched towards Trafalgar Square. The London rally was joined by Jeremy Corbyn, a former Labour Party leader and a current member of the Parliament. Corbyn called on world leaders to unite their action in order to bring peace to Ukraine. He added that hatred, poverty, terrorism and refugees are all fruits of war, warning that a new conflict will be just around the corner if the world leaders do nothing to end the war in Ukraine. 
The protesters in London also chanted anti-war slogans while holding banners advertising an end to the West's incessant campaign of pumping weapons into the Ukraine. Kiev's Western allies have so far provided it with billions of dollars worth of heavy arms. Moscow, which started the war in support of the pro-Russian population of eastern Ukraine, has repeatedly warned that arming Ukraine will only prolong the war and add to the suffering of its people. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu, though there's no podcast up there or anywhere else. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. That's RadioHC.CU. On to NHK World Radio Japan. A new survey of Japanese citizens say that more want an expansion of self-defense forces. The new Chinese foreign minister lashed out at U.S. involvement with Taiwan, calling it containment and suppression. He also said that China has no plans to provide weapons to Russia in its war on Ukraine. The head of the International Atomic Energy Agency said that Iran has not produced weapons-grade enriched uranium. The number of suspected poisonings of Iranian schoolgirls is growing, and it is unclear who is responsible for the acts. Investigators in Germany believe that they may be closer to understanding who bombed the Nord Stream 2 pipeline last September. NHK Japan the dire global security environment is forcing a shift of opinion among the Japanese public. A survey shows more people than ever want the self-defense forces expanded. The cabinet office conducted the poll late last year on 3,000 adults aged 18 and older. Just over 1,600 responded. They were asked what they think about the size of the SDF compared to the militaries of neighboring countries. 53% said it should not change, but 42% said they want the SDF expanded. That's the highest since the government started asking the question back in 1991. And just 4% said the SDF should be smaller. 84% of the respondents said they agree or somewhat agree technologies from universities and the private sector should be used for defense. 15% disagree or somewhat disagree. Defense Ministry officials say the results appear to reflect the severe security environment. They cite China's increased maritime activities, North Korea's missiles, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, the Taiwan issue topped the list of items China's new foreign minister spoke about at his first news conference in Beijing. Chin Gang lashed out at the United States while calling on it to mend bilateral ties. Taiwan the Taiwan issue is the core of the core interest of China, the bedrock of the political foundation of China-U.S. relations, and the first red line that must not be crossed in the bilateral relations. Chin says what Washington calls competition is total containment and suppression. He says it's a zero-sum game designed to benefit the United States. But he says China hopes the U.S. will work with it to explore ways to benefit both countries and the entire world. Chen also addressed U.S. concerns Beijing may provide lethal support to Russia to fight in Ukraine. China did not create the crisis. It is not a party to the crisis. 
and has not provided weapons to either side of the conflict, why on earth are they pointing the blame at China? He said the China-Russia relationship is based on non-alliance and non-confrontation and is not targeted at any third party. Chin also warned Japan not to take part in a new Cold War aimed at containing China. He says bilateral relations will only suffer new wounds when the old ones have yet to heal. The head of the International Atomic Energy Agency says that Iran has not produced uranium enriched to a level close to weapons grade. The agency has also informed that there has not been production. This is also very important. There has not been any accumulation. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi visited Iran last week to discuss the country's nuclear developments. The visit came after the IAEA's latest report said uranium particles enriched to a purity of 83.7 percent were detected in samples collected in January at the Fordo nuclear site in central Iran. Enrichment levels of 90 percent or higher are reportedly required to make nuclear weapons. Iran says its nuclear program is for peaceful purposes and claims that unintended fluctuations in enrichment levels may have occurred at the site. Grossi said the agency will continue to investigate the matter and will report the result at the IAEA Board of Governors meeting that is being held in Vienna. The focus is now on how the IAEA governors will assess the state of Iran's nuclear development. The number of suspected poisonings of schoolgirls is growing in Iran. The country's government is reporting cases in more than 50 schools across the country. And it says it doesn't know exactly who's responsible. The cases started appearing in November. More than 1,000 schoolgirls have complained of symptoms including nausea, breathing problems, and numb limbs. This kind of thing should not be allowed to happen to children in this age. I want the government to act quickly for the lives of the next generation. The Iranian education minister offered an apology on Sunday, saying he understood the anxiety parents are feeling. The government is investigating. It says it believes forces attempting to destabilize the country are behind the incidents. But local news outlets report that groups hostile to women's education are suspected of being involved. Investigators in Germany may be closer to solving an act of sabotage that targeted Europe's energy supply. They've searched a boat suspected of carrying explosives used in the Nord Stream pipeline attacks. The German Federal Prosecutor's Office says it searched in mid-January the boat that allegedly transported explosives to the site of the blast in the Baltic Sea. Authorities said they are examining seized items. Germany's defense minister warned against jumping to conclusions on who was responsible for the attacks. Boris Pistorius said the move may have been a false flag operation staged to blame Ukraine. German public broadcaster ARD and others say a crew of six people of unknown nationality rented a yacht from a company owned by Ukrainians to carry out the sabotage. 
The New York Times says new intelligence revealed by U.S. officials suggests a pro-Ukrainian group attacked the pipelines. The Ukrainian government denies any involvement. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a supporter in Fort Bragg, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. More details on the German investigations into who bombed the Nord Stream pipeline. Mauritania, on the coast of northwest Africa, agreed to begin producing hydrogen using solar panels and wind energy for Germany, the United Arab Emirate, and Egypt. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Here in Germany, investigators have confirmed they searched a yacht suspected of being used in the sabotage of the Nord Stream gas pipelines last September. They found traces of explosives, but no concrete link to the suspects. The New York Times and German media outlets say intelligence suggests possible Ukrainian involvement in blowing up the pipelines. Kyiv denies it had anything to do with it. European leaders say there is not enough evidence to confirm who might be responsible. Sabotage on the Baltic Sea. After nearly six months, figuring out the culprits behind the attack on the Nord Stream pipelines remains an international whodunit, generating theories, questions, and this oft-repeated sentiment. As long as investigations are ongoing, we cannot draft draw definitive conclusion. What can I say? Don't jump to conclusions. But no definitive answers on who just yet. Suspicions about the blast overshadowed talks about supplying ammunition to Ukraine at a European minister's meeting on Wednesday. That's after German media reported that a group of six, Russian and Ukrainian nationals, used a yacht hired by a Poland-based company to carry out the deep-sea attack. German reports say investigators found traces of explosives on board. I want to point out there's also talk it could have been a so-called false flag operation. That wouldn't be the first time in the history of such events, so I'm wary of jumping to conclusions. Revelations about the origins of the suspected attackers first emerged Tuesday in the New York Times when it reported U.S. officials have seen new intelligence pointing to a pro-Ukrainian group. The Ukrainian and Russian governments both deny any involvement, with the Kremlin calling the Times report a diversion. As for the U.S., officials say it has full faith and confidence in the investigation led by Germany, Sweden and Denmark and has no intention of interfering.
The future of European energy could rely on Africa. With lots of sunshine and wind, much of the continent is ideal for generating clean electricity or for using it to create another clean fuel, hydrogen. Now the United Arab Emirates, Egypt and Germany have struck a $24 billion deal in Mauritania, where they'll build a hydrogen facility near the capital, Nouakchott. It has a planned capacity of 10 gigawatts. That's the output of roughly five to six standard nuclear power plants. The first phase of the project is set to be completed by 2028. Now, Stefan Liebing is the CEO of Konjunkta, the German developer on this project. I asked him why it was important for Germany and for Mauritania. Germany at the moment imports two thirds of its energy needs in the form of fossil energy, oil, coal, gas. And if you want to become green by 2045, as is in the law, um, it's only going to happen by turning some of these imports into green products and imports of green products. And uh, Mauritania has the potential of uh, taking a fair share of, uh, of, of that need and, and demand uh, in, uh, in producing green hydrogen-based uh, derivatives. Okay, and what happens now that all parties are on board with this project? Where does it go from here? We signed an agreement today um, to jointly develop a first phase. Uh, that pilot phase is going to have a size of 400 megawatts of electrolysis capacity. And we are now going to use the next few months to undertake initial studies uh, to check wind and, and solar uh, characteristics of the site, uh, to do a detailed technical planning and to look after financing. And then um, we are going to go full speed in, in building the first pilot phase uh, of uh, of the of the project on the ground. Well, you just mentioned wind and solar. I actually wanted to ask you. You know, I understand this was a hydrogen pro uh, project, but, but Mauritania is also known to be well suited for wind and solar. So, are you saying it will be both, or or can you explain that to me? We are going to uh, build uh, a plant that's going to produce green hydrogen and uh, derivative projects that make it a bit easier to transport. And the electrolysis is going to be fed by green electricity. Uh, that's the main input component to produce hydrogen. Um, and that green electricity is going to be coming from new uh, wind and, uh, and solar PV fields in the area that we need to build. Mauritania is considered to be one of the best locations worldwide uh, to produce hydrogen because it's uh, blessed with uh, great wind and solar conditions at the same time, which is important to run electrolysis plants around the clock. Um, so we believe uh, technical and commercial conditions are very attractive. And uh, Mauritania has been a stable uh, country in a region that uh, sometimes is, uh, is in difficulties. Uh, and uh, the government has expressed strong interest to build stronger relations with Germany. Uh, and this could be a first flagship project that will strengthen ties and links because Mauritania could become a significant supplier of green electricity and, and green energy to Germany. Could the hydrogen be exported anywhere else besides Germany? Sure. Um, there is no... Um, there is no commitment or no decision made yet. So the hydrogen that's going to leave Mauritania could in principle be exported everywhere. Uh, Germany with its uh, strong and ambitious targets on uh, energy transition, I think is a natural um, uh, place to go. We also need to replace some of the Russian gas volumes that stopped coming. So we need green uh, substitutes for, for natural gas. 
Uh, and that is why we would first be looking at Germany, but of course, um, parts of the product can also go anywhere else in the world where, where there's a significant demand and market for it. That was Stefan Liebing, the CEO of Conjuncta. Thank you so much. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. They are also on most podcast sites. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and EU prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for the show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.